This is the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your host, Stephen Michael. Now, crank it up. We got another bonus episode of the Grown Up Rock Podcast. Today, we interview trickster guitarist Steve Brown. Of course, Steve Brown, also the guitar player with Ted Poley in Tokyo Motor Fist. Tokyo Motor Fist had a new record that just came out on July 10th. The record is really a, just a consistent melodic rock record. There's some really good stuff on there, and it's a great mixture of both trickster and danger danger in terms of sound and feel i highly recommend people go pick that record up steve's been a busy guy not only is he a great guitar player but he's also a producer and spends a lot of time you know doing things either for Def leopard filling in for vivian or filling in for phil collin when they need somebody he's filled in for many people along the way he's just a good consistent all-around guitar player and vocalist. He can sing really well, which is a lot of the reason why he gets some of these gigs, because everybody can use a guitar player that can sing as well, right? So anyway, this is a quick and short interview, as most of these little bonus episodes are. We talk about the latest record, Lion, from Tokyo Motor Fist, as well as a little bit of Def Leppard, a little bit of Van Halen, a little bit of Trickster. Uh, so it's kind of quick, short, and to the point. Hopefully, you guys will enjoy it. Take it away, Steve Brown. What's happening, you crazy rock and rollers? This is your old friend, Steve Brown from Trickster and Tokyo Motor Fist. And you are listening to my friends on the Grown Up Rock Podcast. Turn it up loud.
So, Steve, as a kid growing up, how did you get turned on to new music? Was it trips to the record store, magazines, friends at school? How did you discover the music you grew to love? Well, that's a great question, Steve. I got to tell you, it was 1978, and I was over by my brother's girlfriend's house, which is now my sister-in-law some 40, 50 years later, whatever it is. But long story short, I was looking in one of the bedrooms at her house and I looked on the floor and I saw this record collection and I saw this record staring at me. And lo and behold, I picked it up and it was Kiss, Rock and Roll Over. And I didn't know what the hell it was. I just saw the cover of it. And as an eight-year-old kid, I think I was probably still seven at the time, it just completely blew my mind. My sister-in-law's brother said, Steve, take this record home. I think you're really going to dig it. It's this band Kiss. And so I got home later that day. I put it on my turntable and first song dropped the needle down. It was the song I Want You and the acoustic guitar is starting. I'm like, oh, this is really sweet. This is really nice. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, man, when the guitars kicked in, and the drums, I want you, Paul Stanley. And the band kicked in, man. It was like something out of a movie, man. My hair stood up. The smoke was coming out of my ears. It was just everything you can ever imagine, every emotion, and it was the most exciting thing that I ever experienced. And from that moment on, I was completely addicted to rock and roll and all things rock and roll. In the morning, I raise my head and I'm thinking of days gone by and the thing I want out of life is the moment that changed my life and within probably a month i was taking guitar lessons and probably not long after that is when i discovered the greatness of the great van halen and edward van halen when one of my neighbors said to me steve you gotta come in you gotta hear this new band and he played me i remember it like yesterday he played running with the devil 
and then Eruption came on. And I knew it was a guitar at first, but then when it got to the end tapping part, I couldn't even describe what I was hearing. I couldn't tell if it was a guitar, if it was a keyboard, if it was guitars and keyboard, or if it was like something I didn't even, some instrument I didn't even know about. You know what I mean? It was that out of this world to hear Eruption. So those two bands, Kiss and Van Halen, of course, are the reason why I'm here talking to you right now. But like I said, so to answer your question, from that moment on, 1978, Kiss and Van Halen, it was going to the the local um, magazine shop. So I would see 16 Magazine, Rock Scene, Cream, Circus, every great rock and roll magazine from back in the day. And then going to Corvettes and Two Guys, the great record stores, you know, that, that were around back in the day. And uh, that was it. And uh, I was off to the races, if you will. And, uh, you know, it's been a love affair that continues to this day. That's awesome. You were really young when you uh, started Trickster. You went to record that first album. How did you end up getting hooked up with Bill and Jim Ray for that first Trickster album? Because it looks like they did a ton of co-writing on that first album with you. Yeah, they did. And Bill and Jim Ray, man, I owe them so much. Those two guys taught me how to make records and taught my band how to make records because we were definitely rough around the edges and we needed a team of people that were going to help us. And we had, uh, you know, Jim was a great guitar coach and bass coach for me and PJ. We brought in Denny Fongheiser, great drummer to help Gus out with drum parts and stuff. So, but they were guys that I met when I went out to LA to do, you know, to audition producers and meet with different guys. Uh, the list was very short. There weren't a lot of guys available. You know, I know I wanted like somebody like Bo Hill. I think the dream was to get like Mutt Lang to produce our record or Desmond Child because we knew we needed, you know, we needed help with the songs because, you know, I, even though most of the songs I wrote them all and they were a lot of the versions that are on the record they got changed around, but some of them didn't like give it to me. Good is pretty much the demo is pretty much what you hear on the record. So I didn't need that much help, but I wasn't so hard headed as an 18 year old kid that I wasn't going to look for help. And it was that time where everybody Bon Jovi was working with other writers, Errol Smith, everybody was working with outside writers. So it was like the thing to do. I met Bill Ray. He said all the right things that I felt comfortable with him and I trusted him 200% with my vision of the band that I started trickster that he was going to take it to the next level and make trickster sound listenable, if you will. And he did a hell of a job with it. And 30 years later, you know, we're celebrating the debut of that album and the record that put me on the map, put my band on the map, PJ and the guys. And, you know, it's pretty much given me every great rock and roll memory that I have in life. So here we are. Yeah, and a lot of people may not be familiar with Bill Ray, but Bill Ray has written for so many different artists. I mean, literally, like all kinds of genres and stuff like that. So he's been around the block a time or two for sure. Let me ask you about this, because it doesn't get talked about a whole lot. The record here was an album that was absolutely all about timing. We've talked about it at length on this show before. It was a record that really, it didn't come to me until much later in life. What do you remember about that time period for the band and making that particular album? 
Well, that was a magical time for us because, you know, Trickster had just come off a hugely successful two years, 1990 and 1991. We had sold, you know, well over a million records all around the world. You know, we went gold here in the States. We had three number one videos to all the touring we did. And so at the end of 1991, it came time and beginning of 1992 to renegotiate with MCA. So we had, uh, while on tour, you know, I was always writing throughout 1990, you know, since we finished the first record, 90, 91, I started writing for the second record. I had a portable studio out on the road, PJ and I, and our, our keyboard player, we had a backing keyboard player at the time, this guy, Liad Cohen, we would do demos in the tour bus and so I had a ton of material and I knew it was something extra special. And I also knew that I wanted to go in a different direction than working with Bill and Jim. And I knew that I was going to take over much more of a production role this time, because after learning about making a record when doing the first Trickster record, I became obsessed, much like when I was a kid, when I was obsessed with playing guitar, I became obsessed with learning the craft of songwriting and learning the craft of engineering, producing, and every intricacy that goes into making records. Mutt Lang became one of my idols. Bruce Fairburn, of course, the great producer from Slippery When Wet in New Jersey and Aerosmith. You know, so those guys, you know, as opposed to being influenced by guitar players, it was more producers. So I wanted somebody who was going to come in and help me deliver this record because those songs that are on here which i think are my you know some of my best songs i've ever written they were pretty much done well before we recorded the record so long story short we went to mca we recorded three songs we did really good i mean they're pretty much album masters the one version of road of a thousand dreams was a bonus track for human era so you can find that somewhere but i wouldn't call them a demo basically what we did is we recorded three album masters it was road of a thousand dreams power of love and runaway train Let's 
did kick-ass versions at a studio here in New Jersey. And I produced it and we brought it to MCA Records and myself, my one manager and this great lawyer, Alan Mintz, we renegotiated and negotiated a million dollar deal for us to make the second record. And so it was, dude, it was one of those crazy times where it was like, holy shit, we just got a million dollars. We got a half a million dollar advance and a half a million dollar recording budget to make the record of our dreams because that's what I wanted to do. And that was January of 1991, man. And I'll never forget it. We did this great negotiation thing. And then the next day I got invited up to go up to Eddie Van Halen's house and go to 5150 and hang out with, you know, the Van Halen's and play his guitars. It was like one of those unreal scenes in my life, you know, and, and go to Ed's house, you know, as opposed to being in the studio, I was at 5150, played all the guitars. And it was like one of the craziest weekends of my life, man. I remember telling my mom and dad when I got back, I was still living at home at the time. And I said, man, mom, you know, you guys aren't going to believe what just happened to me. I just, you know, I just signed a million dollar renegotiation deal for my band. And I was at Eddie Van Halen's house playing all of his guitars. I said, you know, you got kidding me. And then that was it, man. And we were off to the races. We hired Jimbo Barton, which, you know, I don't think he needs an introduction. You know, the incredible producer, engineer, mixer, Queensryche, Rush countless others man and he was exactly what i wanted because he was high tech but yet he still wanted to retain that live feel of the band because you know trickster the first album never really measured up for a lot of people and myself included where the mix was terrible the guy who mixed it and he was a good guy but it's just we were under too much time pressure uh, we spent too much money making the first record, so we had to rush and get it done. Needless to say, we sounded much better live than we did on the record. So that was the goal, to accomplish that with here. And sadly, we made you know the record of our dreams. It was an awesome record, still is an incredible rock and roll, you know, melodic rock record, but it came out at the worst possible time. So there's nothing we could have done to change that. But that record is going to see in 2022, we're going to have a remastered version of it. May, um, we're working on a documentary about making it because it was, it's like a cult classic now, you know, which you were talking about. Yeah, it's a really good record. It really sounds good. And just, you know, sort of one of those gems that you go back and you rediscover that you may have missed at the time that it came out for whatever reason because of uh, the changing landscape and things like that. So let me ask you this. Do you like the term hired gun? Do you embrace that term or do you stray away from it? Uh, hey, man, I'll take it anytime. You know, the difference with me and a lot of these guys, you know, I know that my buddy Jason Hook made that great documentary, Hired Gun or whatnot. My thing is kind of different because I'm not like a studio hired session guy. I was a rock star beforehand, if you know what I mean. You know, I sold a couple million records around the world, did tours. I had my own thing going. But needless to say, you can call me anything you want. Just don't call me late for dinner, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so, so let me ask this because, I mean, there, yeah, I understand exactly what you're describing there. And, you know, somebody like, let's say, a Rudy Sarzo kind of fits into that same exact description that you just used for yourself, right? He's played with a lot of different things. He sold millions of records with Quiet Riot. So he sort of fits in that same category category 
What is your process when you're preparing yourself for whatever gig you end up taking? How do you learn the songs? And for you, a big part of your arsenal is your vocal ability. So how do you learn the songs and your vocal parts? Do you YouTube it? Do you listen to the albums? How do you go about it? It's all of the above. I mean, you know, it's one of every situation is different. You know, let's go back, of course, Def Leppard, first and foremost. When I got the call from Phil and, you know, Phil Collin and the Def Leppard camp to fill in for Vivian when he was diagnosed with cancer in 2013, it was something that, you know, Def Leppard doesn't leave much to chance, you know. So they sent me a hard drive with all the songs, the live version. So I was able to make my own mixes and be able to pick apart all of Vivian's guitar parts and vocals. And of course, with Def Leppard, the great thing is Def Leppard is one of my favorite bands. So I've known all the material, you know, I know how all the songs go. I never learned all the intricacies of the guitar parts. But so I had a lot more preparation with that before I ever did a gig. You know, I was out with them for the Kiss and Def Leppard 2014 tour before I ever did a gig. I had a ton of preparation somebody like danger danger where they call me two days before a gig and say hey man can you learn 16 songs in a day and all the vocals and stuff you know it was one of those things that look man it's all about putting the time in and putting the work in and being able to you gotta know where you don't have a lot of time you gotta focus on the most important parts of the song get the chords down you don't have to worry about every little riff and every little lick You focus on the meat and potatoes of the song and you worry about the guitar solos last. You know, my thing was let's get through the chord progressions with Danger Danger. And, you know, look, man, I've been playing guitar for, you know, almost 40 years. I can get my way and hold my hold my own with any band, you know, and that's one thing that, you know, as long as you kind of give a nod to whatever the guitar solo section is, you can get away with putting your own thing. Dennis DeYoung, the same thing. He told me, Hey man, just kind of do what needs to be done and do your own thing and make it sound good. And that's kind of what I do. But the key of it all is preparation and just, you know, putting the time in and not sleeping a lot. When I got to cram for things, it's about staying up for 20 hours a day, learning the songs, putting the time in. I have that kind of work ethic that I've always had all my life. My dad gave me that. And growing up as a hard worker, you learn what to do. And luckily, man, I'm able to pull it off and get on stage and not look like a fill-in and not stand up there with a music stand looking at charts. That's awesome. Kudos to you. Thank you, man. It's a, you know, it's one of those things that, of course, 2018, when I had to fill in for Def Leppard, you know, with filling in for Phil Collin, that was a very interesting situation because that was 24 hours notice. And though I knew all of the songs already, I had to learn all the other parts. And luckily, again, being such a huge fan and knowing the material already, I was able to turn on a different side of my brain and just go, okay, I got to drop the harmony here and the vocal parts instead of doing the high parts that Vivian does, I got to do the lower parts. So that's what I did. And, you know, it again, it was about putting the work in, you know, 24 hours, you got to play guitar for a long time to get ready for it. And I did and went out and kicked ass. So, you know, there you go. There you go. That's why you got the gig. <laughs> of course. Let's talk about the new Tokyo Motor Fist album, Lions. The album was released on July 10th, because by the time people hear this, the album will be out. 
So go pick it up or order it or download it. However you support these artists, please do so. First, let me ask you, is the intention of Tokyo Motor Fist to somewhat replace or fill the creative hole left by a trickster or danger danger? And what I mean by that is that there doesn't seem to be a new trickster album or new danger danger album. So Tokyo Motor Fist, the record seems to consist of songs that could be heard on both. Yeah, well, it goes back to 2016. I got a call from my good friend Serafino at uh, Frontiers Records, and he came to me with the idea of uh, Ted and I banding together and starting this project. And uh, it was so easy because I had already been working with Chuck and Greg on various other things. You know, Chuck lives in the next town over from me, and we've all been lifelong friends. You know, we've known each other for over 30 years. So it was very easy. And uh, I'm always up for a new challenge. You know, we made two fantastic records in, in uh, 2012 and 2015 with Trickster, the newly reformed Trickster, when we came back in 2007. And this came to me and it was kind of like, all right, let's do it, you know. And um, it was, like I said, it was easy because at the, at the end of the day, I'm always the band leader. I'm the producer, the songwriter. So there's not a lot. I'm not good in democratic situations, if you know what I mean. I, I'm I'm always I'm a born leader and a songwriter, producer, and a singer. So I don't need anybody to give me much direction. So basically, it was just go in the studio. I gave the guys twelve songs that I thought were fantastic, and they all agreed. And I said to the guys, here here are the songs. I want you to make each of these songs your own and put your own personality and that's what they did and that's the same thing we did on the new record it's there's no there's really no um gray area with this and everybody gets to contribute and that's what makes tokyo motor fist sound the way they do and that's what makes it a real band effort at the end of the day so will there be a new trickster album in the future or no possibly i mean look i'm not gonna lie to you and you've probably seen it out in the press we're kind of a fractured band at the moment. You know, the other two guys, you know, there's definitely been some internal conflicts and we're kind of shut down. All we're doing, all I'm doing right now is working with Universal Records to try to get the licensing and the master tapes to be able to do a 30th anniversary remix, remaster of the debut album and do a really cool deluxe edition. PJ and I have been, you know, transferring old tapes and, you know, all the demos and stuff. And we'll have to see. But, you know, there's some stuff that happened that sadly it happens with a lot of bands and we've become a casualty of that. So, you know, look, it doesn't matter to me. I'm busy as hell. PJ and I have been doing this thing with Eric Martin for the last couple of years, this Trickster and Eric Martin thing. So I don't foresee a new Trickster record with Pete and Gus anytime soon. The issue really has nothing to do with Pete. It has to do with Gus. And he did some real shitty things and no need to go into that right now. But it is what it is. Sadly, again, we become one of these, you know, Internet joke headlines, you know, where here it is again, you know, where there's another broken up uh, 80s hard rock band. But I'm still out there. PJ's still out there kicking ass. PJ just finished. 
finished up a new great solo record that I produced and engineered two tracks for him for that. That's coming out. And here I am releasing Tokyo Motor Fist Lions 30 years into my career as a national act, putting out the best music and the best guitar playing and the best vocals I've ever done in my life. So, you know, I couldn't be more proud at this moment. That's fantastic. So let me ask you a couple questions about the new record. Uh, I love the song Decadence on 10th Street. What can you tell me about that tune in particular? That tune, oh man, that's the second song I wrote for the record. The first track I wrote for Lions was Youngblood. And uh, interesting story about both these songs. They were originally intended for Eric Martin. Eric Martin and I and PJ, we have this band with Joey Casada from the great ZO2 band. The Gig and Pigs. The Gig Pigs. <laughs> oh, so you know about this. Yes. yes. Chris Jericho, my, our brother Chris Jericho, the King Pig. So, yeah, we have this thing that we do, the Eric Martin Trickster Show, like I told you, and we were going to make a record for Frontiers. But for some reason, Eric wasn't into it. So those are the first tunes that I sent to him. And he just was kind of hemming and hawing and doing the Eric Martin thing that he does and wasn't into it. <laughs> and uh, so I, I finished the songs. And I sent them to Ted and Ted was, you know, young blood, especially Ted basically jumped through the phone and said, this is the best thing I've ever heard in my life. You know, he was just so blown away by the intro, the guitar tapping and the melody, yeah. you know, young blood. and it was perfect for him vocally. So he was in love. And I said, well, I guess we're making a new Tokyo Motor Fist record. And that was it.
Back to Dance on 10th Street's second song, The Influence. I wear it loudly and proudly. You know, the mighty Edward Van Halen and Van Halen, you know, the reason that I'm here talking to you. And that's uh, very much a, a salute to 1978 Van Halen 1 because, you know, my good friend Bruno Ravel, who helped me mix the record, you know, we were hell-bent on getting as close to you know, Van Halen one guitar sound as possible. And I think we nailed that. So that one, man, that song in particular is one of my favorites. It's a riff that I've had probably for 20 years that finally made a record. And, you know, it's coming up as one of the, the, the people who've heard like the samplers. And we played that live on the, on the Monsters of Rock cruise. So fans have heard the song. They love it. I think it's one of the best guitar solos I ever did lyrically it's just a cool fun song about the decadence and the darkness and the shitty things that go on with rock bands you know the behind the music stuff the you know the autobiographies we all love to hear about the you know the dark secrets and the shit that goes on behind the dressing room doors and behind the hotel room doors so it's kind of my fantasy you know almost famous uh song to all of that you know it's kind of got a little eddie van halen sammy hagar reference it's got a little steven tyler joe perry thing going on there with the lyrics and you know uh it's sort of like a three and a half minute movie if you will about that you know how we all love the seedy side and decadence of rock and roll
Well, definitely one of my favorites on the record. Another one that I love quite a bit is Sedona. That's just a happy feeling song to me. What can you tell me about that one? Again, that's another one of my favorite songs on the record. Kind of to me, like I've been telling people, it's got a Toto meets Van Halen vibe. Mm -hmm. It's got the horn section on it that my good buddy Frosty Lawson did all the horn stacks. Kind of like extreme, get the funk out like Aerosmith did on the other side. That was very much influenced by that. And then, you know, cool story about it. That riff, the guitar riff been around for 30 years i wrote that riff probably right after we finished recording the first tricks the record so it's been around that long and pj actually noticed it about a month ago when i gave him a copy of the record he goes dude that riff in sedona you were playing that 20 years ago i'm like no man i've been playing that riff for 30 years so it took 30 years to finally make it onto a record and i'm so glad it did The cool thing about the song, we were able to get Chuck's bandmate, the great Mark Rivera, to play a phenomenal sax solo on the song. You know, Mark is uh, Billy Joel's sax player and also Ringo Starr's sax player. So how cool is that, that Tokyo Motor Fist is able to have Mark guest solo on, on one of our tracks? And, you know, again, it's just such a fun summertime song and lyrically i went for like the david lee roth school of thinking where i kind of wrote where you don't know whether i'm talking about a place sedona is it mountains is it a car is it a girl you know i'm kind of going for that yankee rose panama lyric angle that dave roth was so good at and again i just love that song so much and i'm glad you've been picking up on that you you picked up on it Yeah, well, it's a really, really good record. I hope fans go out there and pick it up. I think they're going to enjoy it. I want to be respectful of your time. So I know that you've got a full schedule of interviews. I'm going to let you go. We will put all of your contact information, including the Tokyo Motor Fist information, in our show notes. Steve Brown, it's been a pleasure. Steve, thanks so much. And to all you grown-up rockers out there, Don't get old, man. Age is just a number. I'm going to be 50 in a couple days, and I still feel like a 14-year-old kid. Steve, we'll see you on the next Monsters of Rock cruise. You bet, brother. Cheers, Steve. All the best. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys. Welcome to 
Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.